You know, my goal was to just um, try and get an opportunity to play professional football somewhere down the road. I knew it was going to be a long, difficult journey. I knew there wasn't a lot of guys that looked like me. Uh, as far as my color was concerned, when I started playing that position, I felt like I had really good leadership abilities, all the things that it takes to be a quarterback. So it was just a matter of somebody believing in me and giving me that opportunity. What is going on, Vikings fans? Chris Corso here with episode number 80 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. I am joined, as always, by producer Jay Nelson. And this week we have Gabe Henderson from Vikings.com joining the show as well. And guys, this is going to be a short edition of the show, but a really special edition of the Minnesota Vikings podcast because Gabe has a really awesome interview, an interview that we don't get too often, and that's Hall of Famer Warren Moon joins the show. Gabe had so many things to talk about with Warren on the field, off the field, uh, his time in Minnesota, what it was like uh, coming up as an African-American quarterback in the NFL about 25 years ago, which is crazy to even say when talking about Warren Moon's career uh, in the NFL. So with that, I bring in Gabe Henderson. What's going on? And uh, what was it like to talk to Warren Moon this week? It was really cool. When, when Jay hit me up about the opportunity, I was like, are you sure, Warren Moon? Um, you know, we were talking, I think we talked at like 4 p.m. on Monday or earlier in the week, and he was basically saying, he was like, yeah, you know, this, this, and that. And I was like, well, I'm about to go watch his um, a football life for like the third time again. And then just reading that and just understanding his story, um, it was great to just be able to talk to him and see how open he was. Um, you know, when, when guys get to that stature, in their life, in their career, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, secluded and warm was very open. You know, we talked about things from um, him growing up in California to going to Washington, to him choosing the CFL over the NFL, like if he would do that over again and, and many other things. So it was really good to hear his perspective on, you know, his career and how he is, you know, continuing to influence the guys, the current guys, black and white in the NFL, which I think Vikings fans are, are in for a treat for. Obviously, it's Black History Month. So really excited to share that content with you guys. And uh, yeah, they talk about just about everything. Uh, Gabe, really good job on that interview. To get this show started, we talked about just about every coaching hire that was made last week. The Vikings were able to hire defensive backs coach Carl Scott to fill that position. He comes from the University of Alabama. So we're going to start the show talking about Carl Scott, what he brings to the Vikings, and how important um, it was for Coach Zimmer to get him in the building here. So, Jay, uh, you, you kind of put together the background and bio on Carl Scott. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what this hire means for Coach Zimmer at a really important position going forward? Yeah, this is typically Zimmer's uh, his pet project. This is his secondary. So I'm sure uh, even with last year bringing in Durante Jones, he wanted a guy who's got some some clout. He's got some background. He's got some experience with this. And, and Carl Scott being at Bama, which is a lot of people always kind of joke, it's basically like a professional team playing in the college system. Um, I think Carl Scott, with his background in coaching and, and some of the the people that he's put out there, he's definitely – got the the accolades and, and the experience behind him that's it's going to be somebody that Zimmer can trust. So Carl Scott was born in Houston, Texas, and then went to McMurray University in Abilene, Texas from 2003 to 2006. In 2007, he got his first chance at Delta State as a graduate assistant. 
2008 to 2011, he went to Tusculum as the defensive backs and linebackers coach. 2012 to 2013, he went to Southeast Louisiana as the linebackers coach. And in 2014, he was promoted to the defensive coordinator and DB coach. 2015, he went to Louisiana Tech as the assistant coach and safeties coach. And then in 2016 and 17, he was at Texas Tech coaching secondary. 2018 to 2020, he was then at Alabama coaching the cornerbacks. And then, as we all know, he's been hired as the Minnesota Vikings defensive backs coach. And that just shows you he's worked another guy here that we talked about from before worked his way up through the system and he's definitely earned it. So I'm excited to see what, what Carl Scott's going to be able to do, especially some of the talent that he's worked with and uh, has had drafted in the NFL over the years. Thanks for taking us through that, Jay. That is quite the list of schools to pronounce Tusculum. Okay. Can't be an easy one. That's for sure. But um, yeah, what stands out to me is what he did at Alabama under obviously head coach Nick Saban. Whenever you coach under Nick Saban, you know the way of winning, just like Belichick in the NFL. I think whoever gets the chance to coach under Nick Saban um, takes those principles and and all the things that Saban teaches and, and preaches there at the University of Alabama. That's not a bad thing to bring to the NFL level, that's for sure. And obviously Carl Scott is replacing Durante Jones, He's taking over the LSU defensive coordinator position in college football. Uh, And Scott's coming over from the rival of LSU, Alabama, in which they had the title winning defense last year, allowed only 19.4 points per game, third in the SEC in pass defense, Gabe. Uh, You played the wide receiver position in college at Liberty. I love throwing that in there whenever I can. So tell Vikings fans kind of, what does he bring? Well, like from the college level, you look at somebody, you can run through some of the stats, but what does he bring to the NFL level and, and to the Vikings? I think he brings a, a warm personality. Uh, first and foremost, he's coached in the South literally his entire career. So he, he understands what coming it is. from the South guy. Gabe. <laughs> coming, from the, <laughs> coming from the South and then coaching some studs. I mean, the guy, his resume speaks for itself. He coached Tr- Trayvon Diggs, who's with the Cowboys, Patrick Sertan, uh, who's arguably who might be the best cornerback in the draft this year, Shaheem Carter, uh, Xavier McKinney. I mean, there are so many guys that he has coached and that he's groomed. And, and you know, like you said, coaching at Alabama, that 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 says a lot right there. I mean, the SEC is the the modern, well, I wouldn't say modern day NFL, but a lot of guys in the SEC said that's the if you want to get prepared for the NFL, go play football in the SEC. And then this past year, the Alabama Crimson Tide were number one in the SEC for pass efficiency defense and scoring defense. Bringing a guy of his caliber here, I, I think that only suits well for these young corners, this young secondary, and uh, guys like, you know, Jeff Gladney, uh, Cam Dancer, Harrison Hand. I think they will thrive in a, in, a, um, in a defense that Carl Scott will prepare for those guys. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do here, man, because you don't really get a guy like that with that caliber coming in, coaching a defensive backs group with the, the type of court that we have, not only on this def- not only in the defensive back room, but on this defense. We know it's a complimentary thing. I know his wisdom was spread throughout the entire defense. 
You know, Gabe, it's a really important position just coaching this Vikings defense because obviously you have the two co-defensive coordinators and Adam Zimmer um, is one, but obviously his forte is the linebacker position, which he coached for a number of years here with the Vikings. And then you look at Andre Patterson, who's widely regarded as one of the best defensive line coaches in the NFL. He's also a co-defensive coordinator. So those two guys have their focuses at those two positions, but one of the most important positions, one of the youngest positions on the Vikings roster is the defensive back position. You have all these cornerbacks in Cameron Dantzler and Jeff Gladney. Uh, you can go down the list of all the young guys that got really uh, a substantial amount of snaps last season. So Carl Scott steps into this role and, and it's a, it's a big role to fill. Obviously Durante Jones did a really good job and that earned him a defensive coordinator position at one of the top programs in the nation. So um, let's look at the quote from Mike Zimmer. He says, Carl has a national championship level background and has coached some of the best college players in the country. As Gabe just talked about Uh, his input in the defensive backfield and working with our developing players there will be very important. As I said, I mean, one more stat to throw out there. The QB completion percentage was under 58% last year against the Alabama defense. They had 12 interceptions last year, Jay. So I, I just I, I think this is such an important hire and I'm I'm glad you put it in the prep for this week, Jay, because I mean, is there a more important position where the Vikings need to improve this year? Well that and on top of the fact just think about he's been working with a lot of younger players or at least younger NFL type players. And now he's coming from Alabama where some of these guys are one year removed and it's our youngest group that we have on the team at this point, I believe. So our secondary, yeah, we have the veterans and Harrison Smith, but who knows with all of the young talent that came in. And then again, who knows with free agency and uh, the draft coming up, if there's going to be some more younger people coming in here. So a guy like Carl, who's got experience and is used to working with some of these younger guys as well. I think he's going to fit right in to, to what our defense is looking for. Well, that just about does it for the coaching hires. I think we've covered every single one over the past couple of weeks. One of the ones that we covered was Ryan Ficken being promoted to the special teams coordinator position. And it seems like Ficken might have taken a step at solving some kicker competition issues. The Vikings signed Greg Joseph, a kicker, to the practice squad. Uh, last week, Ficken did talk about how he completely trusts Dan Bailey, but obviously um, the struggles last year and and what kind of went down with Bailey and and having a season that he hasn't had so far in his NFL career, it's only smart to bring in another option at that position in which the Vikings ranked last in the NFL last season. So Gabe, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Greg Joseph brings to the Vikings special teams unit? I think like you hit it right on the head, he he brings depth. And I think during the off season, you're looking for as much depth as you can to not only, you know, earn a spot on the roster, but also push the starters that are on the team. I mean, I feel like he does both of that, both of those things. I mean, last year he spent the 2020 year on the Buccaneers practice squad. I'm not sure if the practice squad guys get a ring, but if he does, he's a Super Bowl winning kicker. Um, but if you, if you like rewind back to 2018, when he was with Cleveland, he was 17 of 20 for field goals. Uh, 25 of 29 in extra points, uh, 47 touchbacks on 69 kickoffs. And he's familiar with the guy that's already on this team, Britton Colquitt. He was his holder back in 2018 on field goals and extra points. So there's a a little bit of uh, familiarity there um, in that special teams room. And I think Ryan Ficken, um, he's going to, 
He's going to watch every kick. He's going to literally focus on every single detail. Uh, coming in, being the new special teams coordinator, uh, Ryan Ficken know, knows what he has in Greg Joseph. And I think Greg Joseph, he, he has to earn a spot on this team, and he has all offseason to do so. But like in my conversation earlier with um, Ryan Ficken earlier this offseason, he said Dan Bailey still is a phenomenal kicker despite all of the woes that happened um, at the end of the last season. Like Dan, Dan Bailey is still arguably one of the greatest kickers in NFL history. And we don't want to discount that, but there's a competition brewing and it'll be exciting to see this offseason. It's always good to have competition at every position. doesn't matter if it's the kicker, the quarterback, the linebacker. I mean, you always want to bring in some sort of competition because obviously that makes the player better, especially when you're kicking field goals every day during training camp, you need at least two guys there. So I'm happy we brought in Greg Joseph, and I'm happy that um, Ryan Ficken took it upon himself to probably go get another kicker. Definitely a good thing for the Vikings heading into the offseason program. Um, that brings us to the the main interview of the podcast, and we touched about on it a little bit earlier in the show, but really awesome interview that Gabe got to do with Warren Moon. Obviously, Black History Month, so we had to go with the theme of the Be the Change movement that the Vikings had this entire season um, with everything that went on in the Twin Cities this year. So, Gabe, I, I just want you to give a little introduction and introduce yourself um, with Warren Moon here. So just tell us a little bit about this interview and, and take it away. Yeah, as I said before, um, this is a, <clears throat> a very introspective interview from Warren Moon. He was very open and candid with some of the issues that he had to go through and being able to talk to him about the the former NFL versus the current NFL and how he was able to um, stay motivated through everything that he had went that he had to go through, um, you know, not not signing to the NFL coming straight out of college because there were no African American starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So hearing his thoughts on that, going to the CFL, winning uh, five Grey Cups, I'm not going to give it all away. I'm pretty sure Vikings fans know it. But uh, without further ado, here is Mr. Warren Moon. All right, we're here inside the TCO studios, and today I have the privilege, the special privilege of being joined by the legendary Hall of Fame quarterback, a.k.a. the greatest player in NFL history to wear the jersey number one, Mr. Warren Moon. Warren, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great, Gabe. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Um, I always uh, look back at my Vikings days with a lot of uh, great memories. It was a great city to live in, great fan base, and uh and hopefully I still have some fans up there. Does it seem like going on 25 years since you've been up here playing for the Vikings? Like I know. It's been 20 years since I actually put on a uniform. So uh, that time just seems like it's flown by. But I've, I've been involved in football so much during that time that it doesn't seem like it's that been that long because I've still been involved in the game. But, uh, you know, I've been to Minneapolis many times since then. But it seems like every time I go back, it's changed and grown some more. So. Um, it's still a great place to live, though. I still have a lot of really good friends up there. Time brings change. And um, one of the words for the Vikings this year was be the change with, with all the injustice and everything going on. When you think of that word, be the change, what's the first thing that comes to mind? You should make yourself be part of the solution for that change. Um, so whatever it takes for you to uh, to help that uh, that change happen, uh, you should be hopefully willing to do that because you can't have change without people being willing to stick their neck out and, and make some sacrifices to make that change happen. So that, so that makes you be part of the solution. 
being a part of that solution, I think for, you know, just young African-Americans coming up, when, when they look at somebody that the model, you know, black quarterback that made it to the Hall of Fame, it's like, OK, that's the solution. Warren Moon is that guy. Like he, he was the guy that, that set the bar high. Going into it, I know you have a, a, a very unique story going into it, being from California, you know, junior college, Washington to the you know, CFL and NFL was was the goal to, to be that change, be that solution. You know, my goal was to just um, try and get an opportunity to play professional football somewhere down the road. I knew it was going to be a long, difficult journey. I knew there wasn't a lot of guys that looked like me uh, as far as my color was concerned when I started playing that position. But uh, when you looked at, say, pro football or when you looked at college football with coming out of uh, schools that actually throw the football that give you an opportunity to, to go into the National Football League, you just didn't see a lot of guys like myself. So I knew it was going to be a difficult journey. But uh, I also felt like I had the skills to do that. And I, I felt like I had a really gifted arm. I felt like I had great work ethic. I felt like I had really good leadership abilities, all the things that it takes to be a quarterback. So it was just a matter of somebody believing in me and giving me that opportunity. So uh, there were many doors closed in my space, but there were also some doors open that, that allowed me to keep moving on my journey. And that journey was a, a long, hard, difficult one, but it was one that I would do again tomorrow if I had to do it because I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about people and um, uh, I was able to accomplish the things that I set out to accomplish, which is the greatest part of all of it. You know, growing up for you, the quarterback position for the African-American was, you know, not in question. So for you growing up, why the quarterback position? You know, I wasn't the fastest kid on the block, but I wasn't the slowest. I wasn't the smallest kid on the block, but I wasn't the biggest. Uh, but I also had one of the best arms on the block, and I also had ability to make people follow me. So those were kind of characteristics that I thought drew me to the quarterback position in football. Mm -hmm. um, it was the same way when I played basketball. I was a point guard. I was a guy that distributed the ball to everybody. I was more of the leader of the team. When I played baseball, I was a shortstop. So I was a guy that you know was was making sure the infield was was uh, functioning the, the proper way. So it was, every time I played sports, I was in some position where. I was a decision maker or I was a leader. So quarterback position was just as, uh, as comfortable for me as anything. And I loved it. I started playing when I was 11 years old and uh, played it all the way till I was 44 as a, uh, as a professional football player. So it was a position that I was, I, I think I was born to play. It was just a matter of getting other people to believe the same thing that I believe. <laughs> you go to the CFL before you go to the NFL, if you had to do it all over again, I mean, we know the situation. I mean, no NFL team was going to draft you a quarterback being because of the color of your skin. But understanding what you know now, would you do the same thing all over again if, if the opportunity presented itself? If the situation was the same as it was back then, as it would be now, yes, I would do the same thing again. Um, but, I, but fortunately, it's not. And the guys have so many more opportunities to prove themselves today. And I like to feel like I had a little bit to do with that change, to do with that mindset. So that's not the way I wanted to come out of playing college football. You know, I was a Pac-8 player of the year. I was Rose Bowl's most valuable player. I felt like I at least deserved a chance to, to get drafted and, and go to an NFL team and show what I could do. And if I wasn't good enough, then you cut me and I, and I move on and do something else. But to not even be given the opportunity in your own country, that was a slap in the face to me. So uh, I felt like I was going to go anywhere. They were going to give me an opportunity to play quarterback. It was in Siberia. They had a league there. I would have went and played there. But the Canadian Football League gave me that chance, and that's why I went up there. 
I don't regret it for, for one minute going up there because of the success that I had, because of the, the friendships and relationships that I made up there, just a new culture and everything. So it was good for me. It was good for my family. I was on five championship winning teams in a row, something that hasn't been done in team sports and any other sports since. So that's something that's very special that I can always hang my hat on. So you go from people telling you that you can't play quarterback to being a Hall of Famer. How did you stay motivated throughout that process? I think just um, always having that chip on my shoulder that people said I couldn't do something. So that motivated me to keep showing that I could. And then the fact that I played probably in one of the most quarterback competitive eras uh, that you could that you could think of when I played, whether it was with Dan Marino or or Joe Montana or John Elway or Troy Aikman or Steve Young or all these guys, uh, Jim Jim Kelly, uh, Boomer Esiason. All these guys that I played with during that time, if I was going to consider to be, be one of the best, I had to compete against these guys. So my my game had to stay at a certain level in order to do that because I knew how I knew how these guys thought, and uh, I got a chance to know all these guys. So I knew if I was going to be on top of my game, I had to I had to put the work in, and I had to continue to keep trying to be consistent because these guys weren't going to let up either. So what's your take on, you know, the game back then when you play, when it, it was a pocket quarterback league, you, you didn't run as much to now where NFL teams are looking for a quarterback to be mobile and move around in the pocket? Yeah, the game has definitely changed here in the last probably 10, 15 years or so that uh, these quarterbacks have to be a little bit more hybrid as far as being a little more athletic. And I'm not talking just African-Americans. I'm talking mm -hmm. white quarterbacks as well. You look at Justin Herbert, you look at uh, Josh Allen, you look at Joe Burrow, he has great uh, ability. It's too bad he got hurt, but he has nice movement. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that can move today, and you have to be able to do that to be able to make plays because one of the differences in when I played, those defensive ends weren't running 4-4, four, 4-5, four, 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 like these guys are right now. Mm -hmm. The game is a little bit more speed involved because it's a wide-open game with all the passing that's going on. So – Quarterbacks have to have the ability to make a guy miss. Yeah, they have to have the ability to get outside the pocket and, and buy time. And it, and sometimes they have to have the ability to run the football. So the game has definitely changed. The style has changed. Going back to when you played, we started this interview off with, you know, being the change and, you know, things changing over time. For you, though, with all the change that happened in your life, when was that moment when you were like, hey, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, right when I need to be there? I think when I finally signed my first NFL contract um, in 1984, when I came back from Canada, that had always been my dream and uh, to play in the NFL. I felt like I had proved enough to get to that point. I also felt that uh, I was going to an organization where I could help them build, build something special. Um, I was being paid very, very well. I was the highest paid player in the league. So I think everything was falling into place right there when I, when I um, went to Houston, I knew it wasn't going to be easy as far as the transition because this was a two and fourteen team when I got there and didn't have a lot of talent. That was the time that I thought, okay, everything that I had dreamed of as a kid is happening right now. Now it's now it's time for me to take it and take it to the next level. Rewinding back to '84, when you you know got drafted in the league, you were the only starting black quarterback in the NFL. When when you fast forward to now, when you see well, I think it's eight or nine different NFL teams now with black starting quarterbacks. Is that what you envisioned, you know, back in the day when you were playing? That's what I had hoped for. And um, there were different times, even throughout that time, maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s, where, where you know, when Donovan McNabb and Achilles Smith and, and just different guys like that uh, 
uh, were starting at the same time. I don't think there was ever as many as nine, but I think there was as many as six or seven, and then it's just kind of grown from there. Actually, I think this year, opening day, you know, with Dak Prescott, before he got hurt in that, I think there was 10 total mm-hmm. on opening day this year that were African-Americans. And that's, that's a third of the league, and that's um, – that's a, that's a great compliment to to what's happened with change over the years, and and I could probably say five of those ten were, were five of the top quarterbacks in, in the game. So mm-hmm. uh, not only are they starting, but they're some of the best players, or some of the highest paid players in the league. They're some of the highly endorsed players in the league, and some of them the face of the league. So mm-hmm. that part of it, so much progress has been made in that area. I think Vikings fans, you know, having you here, they want to know, you know, during your three years here, 10,000 passing yards, 58 touchdowns. What were some of your greatest memories being in Minnesota? You know, first of all, living there, just just really, really nice people. Um, even though it's cold, it's not as cold as you think it is sometimes because you get used to it. Your blood, I guess, gets a little bit thicker. It, it offered me everything that I wanted, you know, off the field as far as great restaurants. Uh, they had great entertainment. You know, the music industry being there with Prince and that whole thing. I was there during that time, got a chance to meet him and hang out with him some. Um, but then the football organization was, was top notch. They were first class. They did everything the right way. I love playing for Denny Green, uh, probably one of the best coaches I ever played for in the NFL. Great motivator, really took care of the players. Um, always wanted to make sure we were we were rested and uh, fresh for games every week, which was something I loved being an older player when I got there. Just a lot of positive things about being in Minneapolis. Uh, you know, we won a couple of division titles, but just never were able to get over the hump as far as, you know, what we what our ultimate goal was, was to win a Super Bowl. But uh, we did have some success there. You talk about Denny Green, and we all know how important Community Tuesday was to him. Being the Walter Payton Man of the Year yourself in 1989, what does Community Tuesday mean to you and going forward? Well, first of all, it's a way to humble yourself from all the accolades and, and adulation you get throughout the week, getting ready for a game and, and, and what happens in that game on Sunday. So whether you have a great game and everybody's blowing your head up and telling you how great you are, or whether you have a, a bad loss and you feel like, you, you know, the, the end of the world is coming, you know, Tuesday comes and all of a sudden you get a chance to go out in the community and it was just a football game. You lost a football game, but here's somebody who might be struggling with, finding food that particular week or mm-hmm. needing a new backpack with, with uh, school supplies and whatever the case may be, you have a chance to make a difference in those people's lives. And I loved uh, Community Tuesday and uh, Denny was huge on that. He asked us every week on Wednesday, okay, who, who didn't go out in the community? Who did go out in the community? And it was something that was very important to him and it became very important to a lot of players in the league as well, including myself. Well, before we get you out of here, I'm not going to talk about the, the Seahawks-Vikings games at all. I know that's, you still work for the Seahawks. So, and I know that's not a, a, a sweet. Hey, I'm, wearing pur- I'm wearing purple right now. That's what you know. That. <laughs> well, I, well, I appreciate it, Warren. I know Vikings fans appreciate you also. Thank you again for your time today. And stay safe in the meantime. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Like, like I said, I appreciated my time with the Vikings. I root for them all the time. And uh Love my visits whenever I get a chance to come to the Twin Cities. So uh, go Vikings, and uh, thanks for all the fans out there that, that always rooted for me. Thanks again, Gabe, for that great discussion. A, a really, really interesting interview. That was 13 minutes of the interview, and you can catch the full version on Vikings.com or the Vikings YouTube channel. Um, we wanted to leave the most 
for that video version on Vikings.com and the Vikings YouTube page. So make sure to go check that out. One of the biggest things I took from that, Gabe, was the CFL bite. Like having just because the color of, of his skin to have to go play in the CFL and prove his abilities um, at that quarterback position. Like if you if you describe perseverance, like that is amazing to me. And to see what he did at that level, then go to the NFL. And when he's playing alongside uh, the competition of John Elway and Dan Marino and Steve Young, some of the guys that he mentioned there. Um, to be an African-American at that quarterback position and, and be a role model for so many people really stood out to me. So really appreciate you doing that interview, Gabe, and, and sharing it with the Vikings fans. Yeah, for sure. It was great talking to him. And one thing that probably stood out to me um, was the fact when I, I mean, I asked him, you know, would you do it again? Like, would you go to the CFL again if the opportunity was the same, the situation was the same? And he said he would. And going through everything, he learned more about himself, learned about, you know, the obstacles, um, understood during that moment that it was bigger than him. And, you know, it's, it's so, I think just for people in general, just having somebody who understands the moment and understanding that the moment isn't about them. Um, I, I think that's so inspirational, not just for, you know, football players and athletes and people of color, but just for, for everybody in general. And uh, Warren Moon's such a great guy. I mean, 1989 NFL man of the year, um, Denny Green, we know, you know, Community Tuesdays was, was huge for him. So when Warren Moon got to the Vikings, it was a, a match made in heaven. So it was it, it was a great time talking to him. And Jay uh, was very instrumental throughout that entire process. Yeah, it was really cool. You know, we'd, we'd kind of been brainstorming a little bit and trying to figure out some people, went to PR and talked to them. And, and they brought up the idea of Warren. And, and we've talked to him before with Skull Stories and everything. And he's just He's an awesome, awesome person and a great interview. And he absolutely knocked it out of the park and, and gave great job with the, the questions. And to be honest, you know, some of the, the pointed questions that you asked that need to be addressed in this kind of stuff. And given his history, the fact that he was willing to be as open and as honest as he was, I think that's what made it so much better. So kudos to, to you guys and everybody involved. And, you know, thank you to our PR staff and everybody else for helping set up this interview. Yeah, one thing I want to add to that, too, is if you look at the Vikings during this time, they had Warren Moon, they had Randall Cunningham, and they had a guy who I grew up absolutely loving. Uh, when you grow up on the East Coast and you know all about Dante Culpepper being a Minnesota Viking, like that was the team that I followed, that, that I played with in Madden. Like I'll never forget what Dante Culpepper did for the game. He did for the position and obviously different people of color. So um, and the if, Vikings have a, have a really long history at that position, Gabe, of, of breaking barriers. And if you talk to Dante Culpepper and Randall Cunningham, they give a, a bunch of credit to Warren Moon because for, for an African-American quarterback back then, you had to be able to run. Like Warren Moon wanted to be a pocket quarterback, and that just wasn't the norm back then. So for Warren Moon to withstand all – the, the BS that he had to go through and still stick to what he knew what was best, it ultimately inspired generations of quarterbacks. We see all these pocket quarterbacks, white and black now, but I think even in a conversation, it's just like, dude, what's the, the modern day quarterback is a running quarterback. It's a dual threat quarterback. So it's just crazy to see how the game has changed and just seeing, you know, him as a, a huge inspiration to the game, being able to, to grow was, was great to, to learn and understand. 
that stood out to me too, Gabe, because you asked him, you're like, why did you choose the quarterback position? And he's like, I wasn't that fast. So <laughs> I, was a, I was a pocket quarterback. So, um, yeah, really interesting interview. Like I said, guys, you can go catch that in full on Vikings.com and the Vikings YouTube channel. Definitely worth your time. The last topic to talk about here is there's some key dates coming up. It's a little bit of a slow time in the Vikings offseason. A lot of the coaching hires were made, as we touched on earlier in the show. But there are some dates that we want to keep you guys um, up to speed with here. Stay tuned as we cover all of these NFL events. The college pro days, it's, it's a really weird year, guys. Like the combine's not happening due to COVID. So all of these colleges are going to start having these pro days um, for their top players to work out in front of the scouts and and things like that. So it won't be the traditional offseason um, with that combine. So look out for some of those pro days when you're looking at the Alabamas and the LSUs and the Clemsons and, and all those big programs in the Big Ten, SEC, and, and, and all around the country. That, those will be really cool to track. And then another big date coming up, the franchise and transition tag designation window is February 23rd through March 9th. Uh, Jay, why don't you lay out what that means to Vikings fans? Because there's a lot of players um, that they're going to have to make some decisions on in the Vikings front office by that March 9th date. That's just it. So you have the window from the 23rd to the 9th where you have to formally make your decisions on using only one of these tags per season if you choose to. Last year, we used the franchise tag on Anthony Harris when he was going to potentially become a free agent. Um, Here's the abridged definition of these tags. So A transition tag is used on unrestricted free agents, so clubs have the ability to match any offer from a competing club. Teams still have the ability to try and match those tags, so if that happens, then the the home club that puts the transition tag on those players would then be obligated to pay another player top 10 money if they have another offer. If they choose to keep them, great, they still get the player. If they don't, then that player can leave uh, in free agency and sign with that other club who has made them an offer. Uh, As for franchise tags, each club, again, can use only one on an unrestricted free agent. This guarantees that player a top five salary at their position for the upcoming season. And we've tended to use these tags kind of sparingly over the years, but in certain situations, like Anthony Harris coming off of his really good 2019 season last year, the Vikings did use a franchise tag on him for the 2020 season. So, Pay attention to that March 9th date, and we'll see if the Vikings decide to make any tag decisions or designations for the upcoming season, or potentially you could see some of the veterans that you know and and, and have watched over the years possibly leave in free agency. So that March 9th date is going to be key for those positions, and that just kind of leads up to the week before free agency kicks in. So lots of interesting stuff here to pay attention to, and uh, it's always exciting just to kind of see what's going to happen, not only from that 23rd to the 9th window, but then once free agency formally kicks in. Definitely an important date to track for Vikings fans. I believe you will have some information on some key players um, on the Vikings list, uh, whether we're going to keep them or not keep them, or maybe go with that franchise tag um, for one of the players like we did with Anthony Harris at the safety position last offseason. Um, and that leads us up to the NFL free agency window. That negotiating window starts on March 15th through through the 17th. Players can officially start signing on March 17th. 
That is always a fun time. I remember last offseason, um, that's right when COVID started, and it kind of brought people back to a little bit of sports and, and seeing some news around the league, and, and it was definitely something that turned us away from all the crazy stuff that was happening in the world last offseason. So um, look forward for that, and look forward for the NFL draft. I think we're about 11 weeks away. Um, it's currently still scheduled to be held in Cleveland, Ohio, April 29th through May 1st. Vikings have the 14th overall pick. Very exciting for that. So that's really it with the dates coming up. Obviously, this is a slow time of year. So uh, really awesome, quick episode of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. But I'll throw it to you, Gabe. you have any final thoughts before we, uh, before we go here? I think, you know, with all these dates coming up, I think the optimism starts to build. And we see it every year, but I think the optimism is pretty practical and realistic for Vikings fans this year. So it will be very intriguing to see who the Vikings take, who the Vikings select at free agency, if they if that's the route they want to go, and so on and so forth. But it's it's an exciting time coming up. Jake? Uh, the biggest thing with the Vikings typically in the past has been uh, free agency. We're not typically a huge, splashy team. At least we haven't been for a few years. Um, and I think a lot of that goes back to there's always the debate. I know we used to have it for years of, of you can supplement in free agency, but you really want to build through the draft. Curious to see what happens. We had a lot of turnover last year, especially d- defensively um, in free agency. And I'm curious just to see what's going to happen this year. You know, there's some rumors swirling around about some of the, the bigger name uh, players or some veterans on this team. In the end, what it really comes down to is, you know, the, the front office having to make uh, business decisions and players having to do what's best for them. And, and some of them, to their credit, they are betting on themselves in order to make sure that they can further their career and, and, and be as you know financially lucrative as possible. So it's always a weird time of year because you want to keep the good players on your team. But sometimes just when it comes down to even financially, it's just not an option. So it's something that's that's interesting to pay attention to and, and also to just realize these are people's lives. These are people's careers and to try to treat them accordingly, especially when it comes to social media. So it's, it's hopefully uh, in the end, whenever people are making decisions, whether it's front office or the players themselves um, in the end, remember that they're humans and to, to try to, you know, treat them as such. It's a great point. Appreciate it guys. And uh, yeah, the, there's a lot of good things coming from the Vikings entertainment network, especially from Gabe. He's done a really good job talking to just about every one of those assistant position coaches, uh, especially the ones who have been promoted or, or moved into new spots. You can check those all out on Vikings.com, the Vikings YouTube channel, all over the Vikings platforms. They are just about everywhere. Um, the other thing I want to shout out is the Vikings Vantage, uh, which was a show that Gabe and I co-hosted throughout the the season last year. It aired on KFAN on Friday nights uh, throughout the season. We're getting that going again, Gabe. Let's and go. We had, we had Sam Ekstrom from the Purple Insider. Uh, he's been covering the Vikings for a really long time, um, five or so plus years, and he was a really good guest this week. That will be out on this channel and hopefully airing on KFAN soon as well. So um, be on the lookout for that. And thanks again to Warren Moon and the work that Gabe did um, on this episode and the work that Jay did on the prep for this episode, uh, recapping the Carl Scott hire. That'll do it for this episode of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. Until next time, have a great week and skull.